Hello and welcome back to season three of the Diaries of the Lady Gardener podcast, the podcast about all things planty. From flowers and fruits to succulents and sowing microgreens, we cover a whole host of topics with some of your favourite people across the gardening world. This one's for those who prefer plants to people and think of their seedlings as children. For the first episode back of the season, I got the pleasure of chatting to author, environmentalist and TV presenter Frances Tophill. Many of you will know her as the friendly face of Gardener's World with her beautiful allotment. It was a real treat to chat to Frances, diving into the world of perennial veg, talking to our plants even if people think you're crazy for it, and how we can be a little bit more considerate to the world around us when planning our allotments and gardens. So, without any further ado and any more spoilers, enjoy! how are you? I'm well thank you how are you? Yeah very good thank you welcome to the podcast. Thank you thank you for having me. <laughs> no it's very exciting to have you here um I have got a couple of friends that I know will be very very excited to listen to this episode but um I've tried to keep it under wraps until it goes live so that people can be extra excited when they see it pop up on their on their Apple oh. podcast <laughs> notifications. <laughs> Oh, you're very good. Normally I just say whatever comes into my head to people, so I can't keep secrets at all. <laughs> I can't really either, but there's some things that I'm like, I must, I must keep quiet, I must keep quiet, I must keep quiet. Um, but I thought if we jump straight in, because I would love to hear the story about how, how you got into gardening in the first place. Um, a lot of people tend to be the, I gardened with my grandparents when I was from the age of two, and so I've always been into it, and some people start a bit later in life, so... Where does your yeah. story story start? Um, definitely later in life, person. Um, I it bit kind of went like weirdly because then I think back and I think well actually I gardening was always part of my grandparents. Funnily enough, on both sides. <laughs> so my my mum, her mum was German, mm-hmm. and she was a really excellent gardener. And I like everyone. I have that memory of the kind of smell of tomato foliage from my grandma's garden. Mm-hmm. Um, but she was also and I think it's part of her being German she was amazing at fungus identification so she'd take us out in the woods and stuff as kids and we'd pick mushrooms and she'd know every single one and which ones were good to eat and how to pick them and she was just an amazing kind of naturalist I would say but also that's so cool it was really I'm so jealous I wish that she was still alive (laughs) but I could kind of ask her to teach me because I love fungus but I'm yeah by the identification of them um so there's kind of that side my mum's very keen gardener so but we never really did it with mm-hmm. either <laughs> and then on my dad's side my granddad um was incredibly dyslexic which I am also and he was a farmer weirdly during the war I think so he and this is my understanding I'm not sure if I've got this completely right but I think he um was a farmer instead of fighting and did that and then after the war I think he had to stay farming for a bit and then my dad was born and I think my dad lived on a farm for a wee while when they were I don't remember but anyway <laughs> so basically my granddad on that side was a farmer slash gardener and always mm-hmm. really really keen and wasn't at all kind of literate because of his dyslexia it was really just dis- disabling for him so um yeah he did he did all that but again I never did it with him so it wasn't until I left school I worked in M&S and then I did um a year 
did an H HND in jewellery making and art. Oh, um, wow. Yeah. So I, I came to it so late, well, sort of early enough, luckily for me, that I was able to actually get a career out of it because loads of people come to horticulture as a career change when they're a lot older. And I know yeah. now you're a bit older. It hurts your back. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I was 21 when I came to gardening. Um, and I did an apprenticeship just down the road because basically I was working in M&S full time and I didn't really want to keep doing that. And I, I assumed stupidly that this place just down the road from me as a gardening apprentice, um, I would get more money and I wouldn't have to drive so far to work. So I thought I'd save some money. But it turned out I only got paid two pounds an hour to be an apprentice. And oh, wow. <laughs> I know. When I rang up about it, the head gardener who I spoke to said, yeah, it's two pounds an hour. And I kind of went, oh, OK, um, I'm going to have to have a think about that because that's quite, quite a big pay drop for me. And he was like, apparently, I didn't realise this, but he just dismissed me. He was like, OK, she's not keen enough. No. But then I tried, to, I thought about it and I went to the garden and I was like, yeah, no, I think I want to do it. So I called and called and called and he wasn't answering my call. <laughs> Blacklisted. Totally. Um, and then one day I just sort of turned up at the garden and um, his sister luckily was on the entrance. She was like, oh, he never answers his phone. I'll take you to him. <laughs> she took me down the garden. And he then, because I had tried so hard, he unblacklisted me and walked me around. And I remember coming out of that and being like, I really want this job. And then luckily I got it and, and that was it. But with that kind of art background, I thought I'd be a designer and I am not a designer I immediately fell in love with like the hard work of it and the plants and the soil and the digging and the nature and being outside all of the time and it kind of made perfect sense once I found it but yeah I did not do it at all as a kid. That's so good though because like, I, again I like we probably did garden when we were kids we had a huge garden but I don't think I really understood like the magic of gardening and like people say it's like a therapy and I 100% think it is it's that kind of like you immerse yourself in what you're doing and the task and it doesn't really matter that it's making you really tired like there is nothing more satisfying than when you're really tired from like a long day of gardening and you're like oh, oh I feel great even though I'm knackered <laughs> well I remember when I first started gardening my then boyfriend lived in a pub and he worked split shifts and I used to go <laughs> go and see him after he finished his shift at 9pm and I was asleep <laughs> I, was <just> like, <laughs> I was so tired but being out in the cold and that that first year that first winter we planted I think 50,000 bulbs and it was really cold it was kind of digging we had to dig down every bulb had to be a spade deep because we were planting herbaceous perennials on top of them in the spring um so we were like breaking through icy soil to get wow. these bulbs deep enough and it was really intense but I loved it I loved that that you say I was physically tired probably for the first time ever at yeah work. or even at school you know the kind of especially as a not massively academic and you know especially like I said about being dyslexic and stuff that I did I did kind of well weirdly because I have a good memory but actually struggled a lot with school and you know, so I was sort of emotionally fraught, <laughs> but not physically tired. And that was the first time I, and I loved it. 
Yeah, that is amazing. Do you ever think about what might have happened if he hadn't have given you that opportunity in the end? Yeah, I do. I kind of wonder. I mean, it because it because it's been such a kind of whirlwind. If I hadn't done gardening and I was there at that garden really near my home for May, I think it was three years or so. And then I went to Edinburgh Botanics and studied for my degree. So obviously I would never have moved to Scotland if I hadn't done that, which is a massive thing when you're in your early 20s to move to another country. Yeah. Um, Obviously, I couldn't wait to get as far away from where I grew up. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But yeah, so that that would never have happened. And then when I was in Edinburgh, I met who who were still all my best friends. That would never have happened. And then obviously when I was at Edinburgh was when I also then started working on the TV, um, which obviously would never have happened. And sometimes I wonder if that was a good thing or not. (laughs) (laughs) But it's definitely a thing. It's massively changed um, the direction of my life. So yeah, I I don't know where I would be, but my life would be enormously different. I'm guessing that it was never your dream to become a gardener slash TV presenter slash author. (laughs) No, it was never, ever in the plan. My plan, my dream was to be a, well, I've always been, since being a gardener, conservation. So my Mm -hmm. degree was in botanical conservation, essentially, and horticulture. So I always had this dream of being one of those scientists on a side of a hill counting the number of mosses growing and... Love it. (laughs) Yeah, and and monitoring that, or, or even you know, hope hopefully because I love traveling as well. Thought of going and being involved in some um, research abroad or something like that. And through Edinburgh, um, they do they do a lot of research into the ginger family. So there's a lot of research out in Vietnam oh, yeah. and Southeast Asia, looking at gingers where they naturally grow. And then um, there's they had a big uh, conifer conservation project which did a load of work in Chile and looked at Chilean flora so that all like hearing all that when I was young I was just like that's what I want to do um or when I went to Edinburgh was the first time I kind of was introduced to the idea of community gardening because doing my apprenticeship which was very much an old-fashioned sort of gardener where you're almost a servant you know, and there's the people who live in the house and you will work and you're, you know, it's, it was that kind of Victorian idea of, mm-hmm. of what a gardener is. And then I moved to Edinburgh and for the first time I saw that gardening could be for everyone, whether they, you know, I was working, volunteering in a couple of places, one which was just this beautiful garden on the edge of um, a place called Dunningston Lock called um, Dr. Neil's Garden, which was just for kind of anyone who wanted to come. And the woman who ran it, Claudia, was just ace. Um, and then in the centre of Edinburgh at Greyfriars Kirkyard, there was a project going on which did working with the homeless and, and vulnerable. So I think I only went there a couple of times, but it's just I just got this this idea that somehow gardening can be about plants and also about people. Mm-hmm. Um, so I was always torn between those. Was I going to be a conservationist or was I going to be a community gardener? Um, and then I became a TV gardener, which doesn't leave much time to do any, any of those things. <laughs> allow you to have a full-time nine-to-five job at the same yeah time. <laughs> fair enough um and you've had have you had two different allotments now yes I have I had it was quite a complicated so basically when I was here in I'm down in the southwest now um I put myself on a waiting list to have an allotment and it was such a long waiting list and <laughs> I, I never got one 
um, the BBC found me somebody in Bristol, a guy called Luke, who was very kind to let me kind of come along and, and sort of help him on his allotment in Bristol for one year. Um, and then I moved back home for a couple of years, sort of have a reassess. And whilst I was there, um, the local village just had loads of vacant plots. And so I had that one. So that was then my first allotment. But in that time, then the one that I had the waiting list came up. So when I moved back here, I was able to, to get that one. Um, oh, which that was perfect. Brilliant. Yeah, it's it's very different. It's it's uh, it's probably an, between a quarter and an eighth of the size of the plot I had back in Kent, but the soil's mm. so good. So it's sort of, you could grow so much more, whereas the one in Kent was tough. It was on the marsh. I loved it because it used to be, um, on my bike ride to school when I was a kid, I used to sign oh. the like proper home. And um, I loved the space and being out on the marsh because when you're from the southeast, well, that that corner of the southeast, the only real wilderness that we have is the marsh where, you know, we don't have mountains and lakes and moors and heathland, really. So for me, I loved being out on the marsh, but it was so windy and the soil dried out <laughs> so quick. And then in the winter, it was waterlogged all the time. It was just, yeah, it was tough. Um, but on your little, I know it's a smaller plot, but you grow such an amazing variety of things in the plot. And I love how it probably ties in quite well with your book on sort of like rewilding, but, but it's so, so like wild and free and just amazing rather than it being like a very neat, tidy, organised, like this is a row of this and this is a monoculture of that. Like it is just yeah. amazing. Oh, thank you. I I, I do love it. I, I think... The thing is that I've never had, uh, well, apart, last year I had a little rented garden. That was my first ever of my own garden. But mm -hmm. after a year of basically not working, I had to give that up and move back in with my mum again. <laughs> and then um, got a job down in Devon. So I, I moved back here. But um, but up to then, I'd never had my own garden. So for me, an allotment is is the only place I can experiment for myself with gardening. So, you know, I've, I've gardened for big gardens, kind of like stately home gardens. And I've gardened, obviously, in botanical gardens. And I've gardened in community gardens. And I've gardened for clients. Um, but I've never gardened just for me. So for the for me, the allotment's the only space I've ever had to, to try and work out what I like about gardening. And that mm -hmm. is growing productive plants that you can use herbs and you know medicinal dye plants and food um and flowers uh, actually as well but um but also I don't want it to look like an allotment because it's my garden yeah <laughs> so 100% of, yeah I think especially like like in this day and age when actually to get a house with a garden is very 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 difficult so to have that space like where you can kind of make it your own and like almost use it as your own garden like although it might not be literally out of your front door it's still an amazing space where you can like it's you're kind of free reign to do I know that some allotments have funny rules someone was messaging me the other the other day about how they're not allowed a shed on their allotment I think there's quite it seems to be quite a common rule but um yeah I'm not allowed to shed on my allotment are you down. not no or any glass not we're so not allowed glass yeah yeah but I don't mind. And to be fair, my allotment's so small, I'm not sure I'd put a shed. Yeah, that's But true. I missed my shed from my other allotment. Oh, my God, I loved that shed. <laughs> Having a shed is honestly, like, 
I just I didn't have a shed on my first allotment and then when I moved my new allotment came with this amazing shed and then I've spent like the last two years kind of I say the last two years I didn't really do that much in the first year this winter I've obviously completely redone it and it's it's just my favorite place and it's I think when you do get around to having that space where your shed is kind of your own and you've you've like painted a few things and made it like that special space like it is one of those it's like having a house a little tiny house where there is not a single other person who can tell you what to do because you're like I will hang this where I want to hang it because I want it like that and you can I have the same thing with with my van it's just a, a rubbish old van which I've you know sort of done a very makeshift conversion on is not proper at all and I can pull everything out and just use it for work so it's really basic but I sometimes like invite people around for tea like like, you know come to my van because it's actually my only place that's my home yeah (laughs) this is my van and you can come in for a cup of tea if you like (laughs) absolutely but but do not tell me what to do (laughs) exactly no it's but it's really really important to have that I think and Mm. shed there's this there's the classic um is it a cliche or idea of like of of men and sheds having like a kind of you know man cave or whatever but I think it's the same for women and you know I think for everybody just the, the thought of having this small little neat place that's just full or not neat but you know full of your things that you mm-hmm. can do what you want with but it's separate from the home so you can kind of get away from your family or your housemates or your partner or whatever and just mm-hmm. go into your space and do your thing is very very I don't know what the word is it's probably not a good part of a human instinct but it's a very <laughs> strong one <laughs> very rewarding I find it like quite peaceful and I just like the kind of pottering about and because it's, because it's not the house, the house as well and obviously the outdoors has a lot of mud anyway or do you feel the need yeah. to keep it spick and span, like organised and tidy, but it doesn't need to be like spotless. It's just a nice place. I sit and drink a cup of tea in there a lot of the time. In the winter, yeah. it's nice to just stand in there and kind of have a break from the rain. Yeah, but totally. yeah, I, I have, I have the same thing. And um, I, I had one thing I was going to say was um, I listened to a podcast once about watching out for for mouse pee in your teacups in your shed and from then on I always hung them the other way around just like oh, oh no oh, I haven't even thought about that but yeah so there, there was that um thought that just occurred to me and that, <laughs> yeah, I had another thought which is gone the mouse pee took away my other thought but uh oh yeah right. so the nice thing I found about having a shed is I could do some DIY on it without worrying that I was going to ruin a house so yeah. like um one of the main things I did when I did my shed up on my old allotment plot was I went to the um, reclamation yard and got a, some crappy old windows. I think they were three pounds each for some old wooden frame windows. And normally, if this was a house, I would obviously not just stick a new window in. But with a shed, <laughs> you can just get your drill out and, you know, cut a hole between some things. And I put a little frame up and I turned my dark and dingy shed into this kind of big panoramic view window that I used to have my little chair and I could just look out of at the whole plot through this window and it's that kind of empowering thing um to just be able to like go all DIY on it and get the power tools out and in a way that you wouldn't have confidence to but it's only a wooden box so what can go wrong (laughs) I feel the same about the entire allotment like I never thought I was really a 
I never thought I was into gardening. Found out I was into gardening. And then I discovered that I was also into garden DIY. And I would say probably 50% of my projects don't even work out. But I learn something every time. And my brother is really good with like tools that I never even knew existed. And he'll come with his tool bag full of stuff. And yeah. he'll be like helping with something. So he'll let, he'll let me do quite a lot of it myself. And then we'll build something. And I'm like, that's amazing. Like, I've got this swing seat. And um, we built it and I couldn't believe that it was so sturdy and it was like a proper big feature of the allotment. And then we've redone it and like tweaked different bits and pieces. And now I'm like, what can I do next? I'm actually going to um, make a a living roof on top of my water butts because the water butts are a bit ugly because they're like thousand litre IBC tanks or 500 yeah. litre IBC tanks, but they've got yeah. a very flat top. And yeah. in your rewilding book, it talks about those living gardens. And I was like, that is literally the perfect solution to like, obviously they the water butts are essential. Because they, they do, do you want to have a slight raised bit of metal above as well? Because some of those units do yeah. that. And there's a perfect place you can put some gravel and some compost and start growing things. Yeah. So I think that that's going to be like a real... Um, on the biggest one does have that metal rack and the smaller one is a lot more sort of flat but I could easily put like a wooden kind of edge around it and make it work Um, so I think I'm going to do it for both and I just think it will make an area of the allotment that is quite ugly into something beautiful that's benefiting the wildlife and like just all around a little happy rooftop oh definitely I I think there is something about that with I think well when I'm one of three girls and I don't know if this is true but my dad was always very into doing DIY and I was always the person who helped him I don't know if it's because he didn't have a boy it's a classic thing yeah and so you know, it was me um or maybe it was just because I was into it he sort of says that it was more that one that you know he he may have had a boy that really wasn't into helping him but I always helped my dad to do DIY so that might have been a bit of a precursor to being a gardener I don't know yeah but I love doing that stuff and I wasn't that good because I would always just help I'd always just hold bits of wood that my dad was cutting or like hand him a nail or a screw or something but now obviously doing it for my job and working on garden makeovers and seeing people do it all the time and helping do it all the time and and now people I find don't get that surprise when you're a female gardener but the amount of times that you pick up a drill and people go, oh, it's okay. Or people, you pick up a drill and people tell you how, how to use it. And you're like, I'm a gardener. I can use the drill. <laughs> I think I'll be okay. I got this. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, I just think the garden is such a perfect place to like ex- experiment with everything. And like you said, you don't have to worry too much because when it doesn't go wrong, I had an obsession with bamboo structures a couple of years ago and I built everything out of bamboo canes. And oh, cool. it, it was cool and it looked cool for like five minutes. Five minutes. They were, they were never, ever sturdy, except for the teepee, because it, it's a teepee shape, so it kind of is sturdy it by design. But, yes. like, my arches and my cages all just were very flimsy and kind of fell over. But yeah. it's all a learning curve, because I kind of learned from those mistakes how to make other things more sturdy, and maybe bamboos weren't the, weren't the best material for the things I was trying to do. <laughs> Well, yeah, but you go to other countries and they build loads of stuff. I think it's, it, but it's, it's using, well, I've, I've done lots of similar sort of structures, but using bits of scrap old wood that were around, that were already there, which is brilliant. Um, but I also think like as a design, 
which again, like you were saying, an allotment historically is not a designed space. It's just a utilitarian space where there's everything in rows. But yeah. for me, my allotment has to be beautiful. So yes, as <laughs> kind of as a design practice as well, putting some height in. And for mm-hmm. me, I always put in arches, but they're always wonky because they're made out of whatever wood was there already. So I have done that there was an arch that was sort of like this and a little bit. <laughs> then, but it gave it gave it height, and that was in the middle on my other allotment of this. You know, it's obviously quite a big, barren, open space. And just putting an arch in the middle of it suddenly gave the whole thing a sense of purpose. And it's like, well, that's now a feature. So my path has to go through that archway and there's going to be plants growing up that archway and what can go around it, you know, won't shade it. Or I could I could shade, I could put like a screen so that the archway is actually a transition to, you know. Mm-hmm. It, and, I, and I really think that's valuable is having a bit of height and thinking about structure of hard landscaping. But obviously for me, I tend to uh, towards less hard landscaping and more planting mm-hmm. um but on the on this allotment that I'm now on my small one because it was so small I wanted to go vertical a lot yeah. but the first thing I did was just get a load of chestnut poles not bamboo because I did the same thing as you before <laughs> I've done this before you put bamboo in and it but, um, <laughs> lovely <laughs> lovely chestnut poles um and made the whole thing down one side of the wall which was is now filled with things like um, grapevine and loads of hops. And I had squashes growing up at this year and I got Japanese wine berries and Logan berries. Um, And so that becomes a huge feature, but that was the first thing that I felt was important to do. I think- Yeah, definitely. Things are good. And it makes so much better use of the space as well, because you think like, if you're growing squashes along the ground, they take up so much space because the leaves are huge and they travel really far. Whereas if you grow it vertically, you're basically using like a few centimetres and it's going up and then it looks amazing. I'm going to do the exact same with my, my arches this year because my allotment when I inherited it already had kind of quite segregated um, long beds and they are really great and they're they're too good to get rid of but I also feel like the paths are too wide and it doesn't quite utilize the space so I was thinking if I put arches in it brings the height up and kind of makes it less of a flat land landscape and then I can grow things up it and then I can put some like pots in the paths and stuff and kind of make it a bit more quirky rather than it just being kind of like a set angular layout and also interactive you know I think if you're if you're growing especially edibles up something then as you walk through you can pick something or you know there's this it creates a whole another layer of interest um yeah. and possibly habitat space as well if you're thinking vertically too then nesting birds and you know even perches or places where you can hang bird feeders that mm-hmm. you kind of open up a whole world of other opportunities to make it a useful space but what i found on allotmenting which um is never something when I've worked for kind of clients or any other space um I have to think of shade for my neighbors it's like it's a massive stress I don't know if you get the same thing where I'm like I want to put some big structure here or where, like where do I where do I plant my corn my sweet corn yeah because if I plant it here it's going to shade out this guy <laughs> if I plant it here and that lady's not going to have a strawberry patch. <laughs> it's like this massive nightmare of having these neighbours so nearby. And where do you put big structures and tall things where they're not going mean, to... Is, it's quite nice because every decision you make on an allotment, so kind of whether you read something, 
And if you don't, then do you let it go to seed or not? Is everything that has such a big impact on the people using the space around you? So it's quite, um, it can be quite an exercise in empathy. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Um, funnily enough, last year, um, it was actually like a real positive, but everyone around me grew these giant sunflowers. And I'd planted this little sunflower corner and it had not really done super well. They'd maybe grown to be like a metre tall. <laughs> they all went over. And as they all went over, everyone else's like six, seven, eight, nine, ten foot sunflowers were cropping up behind my allotment. And so in all of my pictures in the background, you can see these amazing sunflowers in the back. While mine are just dead in the front, but you don't notice so much because the, the background is everyone else's from like the neighbouring plot. So it was a real win for me. <laughs> yeah, totally. Actually, I had exactly the same thing. The lady next door to me grew this huge, it was about 12 feet high with these enormous heads on these sunflowers. <laughs> and actually, do you know what? They were right next to my plot. And the fact that they cast some shade never even occurred to me yeah. until just now. So obviously I worry too much about that, maybe. Yeah, I think so. I mean, I think it depends what your neighbours are like. because Some people are a little bit precious and other people are just kind of like embracing embracing what's about and sort of letting letting nature do its thing. <laughs> yeah, I do think there's a, there's a big move towards that more and more. I think people mm. are getting a lot more you know and, and I struggle with it you know as a gardener especially when you're when you're trained to cut things back when they've died and then suddenly thinking no I can't do that I have to leave that and it it's the instinct is to want to control everything and there is more of a movement luckily for people to be less in control yes. of nature because you can't really control it can you no we like to think like we can, we can but, but ultimately who's controlling the weather <laughs> Who has the time as well? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Um, my whole <laughs> yeah, um, my whole perspective on gardening changed. It was literally just last year after I listened to um, Isabella Tree. Is it called Wilding? Yeah, it's an incredible book, incredible story. Um, I think she was on like the the story was on David Attenborough's Green Planet or something the other day or the Earthshot Prize and I was like screaming at the TV like oh my god it's Nep Farm it's Nep Farm but um, what they did is just insane and it really like gives you that appreciation of like the domino effect of oh by introducing this thing then you're helping that thing and then another issue might crop up but then you can kind of counterbalance it by something else and like listening to their whole process of how by introducing cattle here, it fixed this problem. And by letting these plants grow wild there, it fixed another problem. It was just insane. Like you don't consider that nature was around long before we were, and it would still be there without our interference. I know we're so arrogant really. As a yeah. Person, we? I have the exact same thing. I, I read and loved that book too. And then Dave Golson's Jungle Garden was another one. And oh, I read um, that this year. Oh, well, this year, if you are if you like listening to books, I listened to um, a book called Braiding Sweetgrass. And oh my God, that was another one that really changed my uh, thinking about plants in that same thing. It's more about foraging and about ecosystem and, and, and um, landscape rewilding or, or landscape regeneration, really. Mm-hmm. Um, but she says so much stuff in there about like the, the way that human beings feel we need to take everything we harvest everything or you know we can't waste that thing and she's like well if you don't waste that thing then how are the seeds going to land for it to grow next year and you're just like oh of course and that was if you if you're into that kind of thing 
then it's a lovely book to listen to as well because she reads it and it's just her voice is so lovely but oh. it's um that's a really good one um, I love, love a book where they read it themselves as well because you can hear the passion in their voices when they're reading it yes completely but no it's 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 interesting how your perspective changes I had the same thing I think I, I think I had a big shift in perspective maybe three years ago um and it was when I just realized I couldn't control the weeds it was on it was I think it's my first year on my allotment and I just mm-hmm. the only thing that really grew there was horsetail it was such a massive problem and I would clear it and clear it and clear it and dig it and dig it and um i you know, empty a whole bed, sow a load of seeds, come back to hope that they'd germinated and find that there was nothing other than horsetail growing back again, even though I thought I'd dug down as deep as I possibly could and removed every piece of fruit. And I very quickly came to accept that the horsetail was just there and that was a part mm-hmm. of the plot. And then when I did that, um, other things came up. So fat hen came up and I started eating that. I had loads of nettle and I used that to make nettle tea. And also I love nettle soup and eating that too and I had plantain and I was eating the seeds for that and suddenly I realized stupidly for the first time that these are weeds but they're actual food sources and they're part of our history and we've always had these plants and we've used these plants um horsetail I still have issues with I do not <laughs> not forgetting horsetail quite that easily but I basically just started using these weeds as part of the plot and it's like well if the fat hen's growing there I can eat the seeds and I can eat the leaves and I can eat the chickweed and I you know and I can use the chickweed as a skin it's really good for your skin and so I just started completely rethinking and then anything I didn't want and I did pull up. So the horsetail was one I did keep pulling up and then I would just throw it on the pathway rather than wood chip and it would just dry out and become a natural form of wood chip. And that saved me having to ever buy wood chip. I was like, oh my God, these plants are so useful. And I completely flipped my thinking about weeds. And that was what got me sort of started on that really. Oh, that's amazing. It's so nice to discover it for yourself as well. Like, I, sometimes I feel like like I love reading about plants and listening to things. And like I've just finished my RHS level two. And it's really interesting and fascinating to learn about it. But I feel like until you see it in practice or you do something for yourself, it's almost like when someone goes, well, you shouldn't do that because it won't work. And you go, OK, well, I'm going to do it anyway, because what if it does work for me? And yeah. then sometimes it does work for you and you're like, well, I shouldn't have listened to you because you were wrong. But then other times yeah. you're like, OK, fair enough, you were right. But had I have not done that for myself, I would never have fully appreciated why that is done in that way. Because you kind of just understand why a little bit more rather than being like, oh, I'm doing it that way because so-and-so said that I should. Like, I think it's a lot more important to have that understanding of like, why is that happening like that? Like that? completely and what what I was saying earlier on about having an allotment and that's the only garden that's the only space I've ever had to experiment and you do you 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 suddenly you you work out who you are and you work out what's important to you and how you work and what you're good at and what you're not so good at and accept those things um but then also you can kind of really get your philosophy you can kind of work out like you know what's it all about and for me really importantly and also for my job it's really important that I can have a chance to build a personal relationship with these plants as well because I think it's all well and good to read something in the book or learn about it on a degree or whatever but I I I find that I still draw on the experiences I had when I was an apprentice and say well that plant doesn't like it when you do this because I because I did that and it didn't like it 
or it did and actually it looked really amazing when we did this when we didn't even expect that it would we thought we were just cutting a corner but actually it looked really cool and I still have always drawn on those things and and the more that you can personally interact with plants the more I feel I can have a personal relationship with them and then pass that on to other people in a way that it makes sense rather than just saying well I read that you can do this so I'm going to tell you you can do this like no I did that and it didn't work but I, I did this and that actually works really much better and with this one no because that you know it's that really informing your own relationship with each little individual plant and how it likes to be treated as well as how you want to treat it you know that's it's it's a kind of symbiotic relationship yeah, definitely and how it adapts to the space as well because my allotment and your allotment might be completely different what works really well for me and my allotment might be not work for you because the soil is different and the environment's different and there's so many different factors you do it's like working working out what works for you but also for your soil and your plants and your kind of area it's not kind of like a you could pick up the exact same thing drive even like 30 minutes away I know people that live locally to me that have completely different additions because I'm slightly closer to the sea or they're slightly closer to the sea or the soil's really really heavy clay and mine's had quite a lot of like organic matter added so it's not quite so heavy clay as it was anymore so things do better in some places it's just so much to learn so much to learn and but also what I found recently there's always more to learn and one of the recent things I've learned this year is to try and listen to plants which I never are never did I'm not uh, my degree is very much science and Mm -hmm. although I didn't really do any sciences at school um and I would have said I was a bit rubbish at them I've actually found that I do have quite a I quite like a scientific I quite like like a right answer and this is the way to do it and this or or an experiment and this is how we did it and we did this and this worked and you know I quite like a scientific method um, and I'm not quite so into the more holistic stuff but the older I get the more I do actually kind of feel that there's more to it than just a scientific way and I did this herb course this autumn and on the last lesson um the teacher said that we were given a chance to go out into the herb garden and chat to the plants and I was like oh god (laughs) really I can't chat to a plant it's a plant but I was like okay no I'm gonna go with it and do it and I did and and the idea was to make a smudge stick with the plant but we had to ask them first if we could harvest from them and and get gauge the reaction and uh, all the plants had kind of gone over because it was the autumn and I didn't know this plant that she was telling me about I didn't know what it looked like she sort of said oh it's over there somewhere and just you know go and chat to it so I went and chatted to it and I was sitting down and felt really stupid but I started chatting to this plant and I noticed that all of its bits were kind of facing away from me and I was like okay I moved around and I started chatting to it from another side so it would be facing towards me but I noticed that all of it was still facing away it was like it had moved and it was giving me really bad vibes and I was like well I I obviously don't believe in chatting to plants but equally I this plant is giving me really bad vibes (laughs) I didn't actually pick any I was just like well I asked it if I could pick some and it kind of said no in the only way that it can and it's really weird but um, I came back and she was like, oh, that, was the ro- that wasn't the plant I meant. That, that's, that, you shouldn't use that plant. And it was like, okay, well, it was telling me. And I don't now believe that plants can talk, but I definitely feel like it was pretty remiss of me all this time as a gardener to overlook what the plant might feel about this. 
you know we grow things and yank them out the ground to eat and we have to because that's how you survive but I've just kind of come to this new thing of going well maybe we should as gardeners see what we can actually learn from our plants really actively yeah. what how they grow but to stop and actually have a conversation with them and see if we can pick anything up about what they might be because there's so much communication the science brain kicks back in but there's so much communication subterranean with fungus and bacteria and other insects and creatures and other plants um, and lichens and all of those all that ecosystem is connected and kind of communicated and, and interacting with each other in a quite they are discovering more and more in a quite active way and we separate ourselves from that and don't listen mm-hmm. and it's that I just sort of feel like I've been really stupid all this time not stopping and listening a bit more and that's now the thing I'm trying to learn to do is to kind of go well you know what does it think about this and maybe just try and really feel mm-hmm. that I'm listening to my plants <laughs> I think that's, that's amazing <laughs> even no, to me that's stupid, but it's something that I've yeah I've, I've never considered doing before no me neither I was gonna say I feel slightly the same about like bugs and insects where everyone I don't not everyone a lot of people are like oh insects oh worms oh but like in the last 12 months I've learned so much about like I never knew what ants really did and I've learned loads about what ants do and how cool ants are and that actually they're not doing anything bad like they're putting nitrogen into the soil and they they're living these incredible lives and like the worms like I've got a worm farm now and the amazing things that worms do in the soil and um like chatting a lot of it comes from chatting to different people on the podcast about different topics and it's kind of like everything starts clicking into place and you're like oh yeah I've always been annoyed that there's ants every time I pull something out of the ground but why have I actually been annoyed about that because they're not doing anything they're just living their lives like in their home and I'm going over and like pulling something out of their way and moving their eggs about like it's not actually them that are in my way. I'm in their, I'm in their way. Their way. They're, just, they're just doing their job. And actually, if you took them away, there would be a consequence to that. Yes, completely. It's it's really interesting. We we live in this, we live in this huge ecosystem, um, and yet we separate ourselves completely from it. And I think we separate ourselves physically, but also mentally from it. And so mm-hmm. when we talk about regenerating and you know rewilding we talk about it sometimes as us being kind of, we will do it. Yes. <laughs> and actually we will do it because we are a part of the nature too. And without it, we won't exist. So it's re- relearning our own place within the natural world and not as this kind of almost like kind of God figures above it and controlling it, whether it's for the good or for the bad, but actually going, well, we all need to work together and that's us working with not working for the plants but working with the plants and it's definitely yeah, it's, kind of, it's kind of a new thing on me in a way but I'm, I'm still getting my head around it but I found it a real eye-opening and, and really humbling experience mm-hmm. to have that definitely and I do think that it's these things that you can only get from gardening and it makes you think so much about everything in life like in a healthy way not in like a, I'm going to overthink every single aspect of my life but there's so many things where I would have rolled my eyes beforehand and now I'm like, now I'm like oh, yeah that's actually really cool I'm gonna do that 
Yeah. I'm going to go and talk, talk to my plants now. And you will feel really stupid. Yeah. Maybe the first <laughs> time, like, but I, I feel like I'll get into it. People, I, my allotment neighbours will be like, are you okay? But then I do it on the Instagram all the time and people probably think I'm there talking to myself. So I'm not sure it really matters. That's true. Yeah, they won't notice the difference. I, yeah, I feel the same thing. I, I definitely had that thing where I felt <laughs> I felt like when you were a teenager and like chat someone up for the first time. I was like, hi. <laughs> Um, I don't you know okay? <laughs> yeah. How, oh, I'm blushing. Yeah, <laughs> it was. It was like that. It's so stupid. But, um, but really quickly, I just it was. Yeah, it was the the more. I think the more thing that was a revelation because I talk a lot anyway, and I would probably talk to my plants just, just anyway, you know. But what was more interesting was to sort of try and listen to them. I'd never done that before. I'd never expected that they might actually communicate back with me. I just thought, you know, you talk to your plants and I sort of thought maybe the amount of CO2 that you're breathing out on your plants as you chat to them will help them with their growth. And so it oh, makes yeah. sense to talk to your plants, you know. Um, but yeah, I had never considered what might happen if I talk to them and then see if they talk back. And they kind of weirdly did in their way. Don't know. Try it. I'll report back I'll, I'll do it this weekend and I'll do report it. back <laughs> yeah yeah it's also just a really nice chance I think as a as a well as anybody but if you're a gardener just to stop and just stop really because if you're like me when you're on the allotment you always see something you have to do and just yeah. learning to stop and be is is nice so if you make it like you're, what you're doing is listening mm -hmm. to plants then it's still productive exactly <laughs> and that was actually another thing that I took I feel like last year was I've probably said this before but last year was the year like I properly like fell in love with gardening like I did really really like, really like it the two years previous I didn't know anything about gardening before that so I had three solid years but last year was the first year that I was properly like obsessed I don't talk about I haven't talked about anything else in quite a long time at this point um but like probably fell in love with it but I am one of those people that I am constantly doing stuff and unless someone else is there like people come and visit my allotment sometimes because I don't no one ever comes to my flat and sees me here people come to the allotment come rain or shine and that's the only place that they'll get to see me but I never stop and go oh this looks really nice I'm like busy, 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 busy. And then someone else comes and they go, oh, wow, it looks amazing here. And you're like, does it? Does it look does good? No, so I'm actually, I've just been so busy doing all of the stuff and doing this and that and the other. And I'll be like, oh, I've been busy talking to the plants. I haven't seen, haven't seen what the allotment's looking like for a while. But it's funny, isn't it? How you spend all that time in the space, but like, I don't know how many other people do it, but I don't often take the time to just sit back and go, oh, wow, this is actually really, like, a really beautiful space that I've made. <laughs> I think a lot of people would do the same thing, just just get your head down and, and, and carry on. But, yeah, do it. Maybe you should do it, like, as homework. Not homework, but yeah. just make it a thing that you, you just check in. Just just check in with how it's looking, but also check in with how it how it is, you know? Mm -hmm. Stop and, yeah, it's, it's, it was an interesting experience. But I, I had exactly the same thing I um, on my allotment I had back in Kent I always just beat myself up for how weedy it was and whenever yeah. people came I'd be like, I'm really sorry I know there's cooch grass everywhere and I'm really sorry um but then I wrote I, I wrote a book and 
it's coming out in the spring but I've over the winter I've been going through and picking all the pictures and getting it all finalized and, and put together and going through the photographs that, that that Rachel Rachel Warren the wonderful photographer took last year on my Kent allotment at the end of the year um the last year that I had it because it turned out I didn't know then but I was about to get a job down in Devon and move back down to the southwest um and I was looking at all these pictures just a few months ago and going oh my god my allotment looked really nice even though it was full of weeds all these like wispy photographs that she got of all the cooch grass seed heads in amongst kind of verbenas and echinaceas and all these tawny colors with all these purpley colors and the kind of you could see the moody stormy skies of the marsh and then there's kind of squashes hanging in the background and I was just looking at this and going whoa I I can't believe how much I used to really beat myself up for not achieving it as well as I could have and actually I'd created a, not just a really beautiful space but a space that was really me you know it really had that kind of wild wooliness but also was really productive and it was also just my sanctuary that I could go to and I hadn't really kind of appreciated that when I was there and able to get yeah. there all the time so you is I think it's very worthwhile to just to stop and just check in with the space much more regularly than we tend to do I'm gonna actually I know that this is a bit bad because I'm gonna set a reminder on my phone <laughs> so that I don't forget to do it because that's the only <laughs> way I'll remember <laughs> that's that is, that's totally how we do it isn't it like <laughs> screen screen remind me not <laughs> look at the screen and take some time to play with the plants <laughs> what all the reminders say put me down now <laughs> put me down <laughs> Put the put the trowel down. <laughs> Turn the podcast off. Listen to the plants. <laughs> yeah, totally. <laughs> I'm terrible at the allotment for like I'll go there with like right this is what I need to do today, but then I leave and I'm like oh I've done everything else except for that one thing that definitely needed to be done today like planting the bloody spring bulbs every single weekend I'm like there's that one more bag and I need to plant that today and then I'm like well it's the end of January now and I've still got that one more bag because. I still haven't done it. <laughs> It'll be fine. I might just go a bit smaller in a bit later. It'll be okay. Fine. They're, be- they're better off in the ground than in the bag. That's true. Do you get that thing that I get it really badly where in the winter I just go, oh, now I can relax. And then I look on Instagram or I speak to my friends and they're going, oh, I got my onions in last week. And it's like, onions. oh God, I haven't even bought anywhere. And I, I just go, my brain just switches off and goes to this other place of not seed sowing. <laughs> Yeah. And then I suddenly get to spring and I'm like, oh my God, I haven't done any seed sowing. I need to get everything done. And then I run completely out of space because I haven't successioned anything. It's all just one big go. And then I also get it later in the year. So I do a, a big sowing and I go, great, I've got all my seeds sown. And then I'm really good and I prick everything out. And last year I was so good at potting everything on and I got really nice, big, healthy plants, but completely overlooked a second sewing because I'd run out of space I had nowhere yeah. to do a second sewing so I just that just kind of didn't happen so I had one huge glut and then and then I started my next sewing right at the end of the summer when I finally had space but it was also not helped because it was a very cold spring so nothing could mm. go onto the allotment for ages so I kind of got a bit congested but yeah I'm really bad I get it yeah. done once and I'm like that's done now yeah <laughs> and I'm the same sorry. and you're like oh smashed it I'm so I'm so on track like 
I couldn't be doing better. And then you, you're like, you're like six weeks into your life, you're like, oh, there's about 80,000 seeds I should have sown by this point, but we'll, we'll do that. I think because I did autumn sowing in my head, I'm already like way ahead of the game because I've never autumn sown flowers before. You are way ahead of the game. Mm. So I'm feeling pretty, pretty pleased with that. But then I'm also like, my greenhouse is already full and I have not even started sowing the like annuals and the vegetables the vegetables I've actually given to my mum this year because I'm wearing my sister's wedding flowers and I just really 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 want to do loads of flowers and so I've kind of dedicated a lot of space and thinking time to all of these beautiful flowers no wonder you've done them ahead because if it's just growing veg for yourself then if it doesn't work yeah it's your sister's wedding that's yeah yeah in my head I'm like it's gonna be fine it's gonna be fine but I've never so I've never grown a lot of these flowers and fillers and foliage and grasses before so I don't know if it will be fine but um of course it will be fine but it but it is but it will be also probably quite stressful I guess by the end everything held back or getting it going my worry is that last year it was a very, very, very late flowering season on my allotment. And I don't know if we had anything in August. I don't recall there being any, any flowers in August. It didn't really kick in till September. And this is like an end of August wedding. And I'm like, I just hope that it's a little bit warmer, a little bit sooner, so that those flowers aren't buds. <laughs> well, it's really impossible to know, isn't it? Because it's getting more and more unpredictable every year. But last year, I, I, I remember that there was a frost every night in April last year for the first time on oh God. record or something um don't <laughs> quote me on that obviously but I remember it was the, the first time since they started taking records of the weather that we had a frost somewhere in the UK mm-hmm. every night in April and it was one of the coldest Aprils on record mm. and then was it really wet as well and yeah, then it was I think so. really dry there was just no rain for ages which stunted everything mm-hmm. so I think you'd be really unlucky if there was another year I don't want to jinx it but I think you would be really unlucky if there was another year as bad at yeah. getting started as last spring was I really hope so but yeah so my greenhouse is already full god knows what's going to happen to the other I've got an insane amount of seeds this year of different flowers it probably wouldn't even fit in the thing but then I've started planning the spacing and I'm like I reckon I can reckon I can get everything in so my mum's doing the three little veg beds and I bought her a cold frame for Christmas and was like, was like oh look, look lovely little cold frame to go in your back, back garden I wonder why you might be doing that and then I was like oh here's a lovely little seed box with some vegetables that I would like to grow if I can just leave that with you if you want to sow that and so her cold frame is slowly filling up and mum I know you're going to be listening but I've kind of like subconsciously been like oh maybe you want to sow this for your garden and save some extra for the allotment (laughs) maybe this could live in your cold frame for the time being oh no oh I have I have the problem of um pelagonium overrunness a really a really good fact it was my first boss who trained me in my apprenticeship he gave me a load of pelagoniums and they're really really rare yeah often species south african um pelagoniums which i i'm not usually into plants that don't really have function but i love these (laughs) 
my little collection and I every winter I lose loads of them um and this year in readiness for losing loads of pelagonians I took loads of cuttings and they've all done really well but they are unfortunately taking up quite a lot of space and then also the pelagonians have had to go into it's not really a proper greenhouse it's just a little kind of plasticky polytunnel-y cheap thing because I don't have my own garden and I can't put a greenhouse on my allotment because yeah. it's not allowed so I've just got this little thing of shelves and that is full of the big pelagoniums which aren't looking great so they may not make it again but I've got the cuttings so that's fine but yeah so I'm, I'm kind of overrun with pelagoniums it's taking up Amazing. all of my warm space so I haven't at the moment got anywhere to sow any seeds which is worrying me a bit yeah again, if it was a cold spring and the pelagoniums can't come out for a long time that's going to really hamper and then it's the successional sowing because you're like oh this stuff is still in my way I need it to be like onto the next stage your pelagonium story though has just reminded me of the amazing story that I was told last year and I'm trying to think where I was it must, it must have been which flower show did my mum come with me to it must have been Hampton Court Palace flower show last year we went to Gaucho in London uh, by um is it by Tower Bridge we went to yeah. Gaucho for a fancy dinner me and my mum um I'd bought we'd bought her the flower show tickets for like Mother's Day like two years ago or something and then obviously they'd got postponed and postponed and we were just about to leave and the table behind us I think asked what we'd eaten maybe and we started talking to them and this it was this really lovely elderly couple I think it was his 80th birthday and they were there, they went there every year for his 80th birthday. They were, they were going to have to call Palace Flower Show like the day after we were. And so we were chatting for ages and he was saying that his wife was fuming with him this year because he said that um, he'd never successfully propagated pelagoniums and he'd been like taking cuttings and he'd usually take like 20 cuttings and like 19 of them would die and he would just get the one. And I can't remember if it was that a friend of his had passed away or so he'd inherited a lot of these plants. And then he'd taken like hundreds of cuttings of them, knowing that he was going to lose like 90 percent of them. And so he'd filled their entire conservatory with these pelagonium cuttings. And he said, like, she she is sat there absolutely fuming. And he was like, you wouldn't believe it. Not a single one of them didn't make it. And he was like, honestly, I didn't know what to do. He was like hundreds of these pelagoniums after he was just expecting to maybe end up with like 10 or 20. And up a nursery, doesn't he? Literally. New career. Yeah. It's funny though, isn't it? It's it's only ever when you're super prepared that that would happen. And then you're like, oh. Because I found the same thing. And I found that the, the, the key to successful pelagonium cuttings is doing it in September. I think oh. that's just if you get it the wrong time of year, they just don't really take. And you can also callous them over a bit. So you mm-hmm. can kind of um cut take the cutting and then leave it for a while and then put it in the soil because it will rot away otherwise. Or I've tried them in water and they do root pretty well in water, but then the adjustment from them going from pure water to compost can be a little bit of a shock for them and then they can get a bit leggy and not necessarily I've got some that have done really well from that but 
the kind of, I think it's the, the fruit of cozen ones are pretty easy so they'll take in water and then you can transplant them on and a tar of roses which is one of my favorites uh has done okay in water but gets a bit sappy and a bit leggy uh yeah I've just found if you take pelargonium cuttings in September in a gritty compost and root them around the edge I normally don't root things around the edge I put them slightly in so that they can have a more complete root ball when you take them out rather than being all the roots on one side which can make them a little bit rocky um yeah but pelargoniums I put them right on the edge right on the edge in September gritty compost 100% success pretty I'm gonna try it <laughs> he'd probably done that but by yeah. accident I think he said yeah I think he said he'd been taking the cuttings for like 40 years or something and had never never in his lifetime had such a success but on the topic of those kind of plants what would you say is the coolest thing that you've ever grown or like the thing that you've had the most fun growing I know you've got tiger nuts I feel like that's quite cool I think that's for a real revelation. I didn't really even know what they were. I, got, I ordered them. I, I've got very, very excited by perennial veg in the last few years. Um, and I ordered a load from a nursery and I think they had them on special offer. And I was like, okay, try them. Um, and dug some up because I didn't, because they were kind of an afterthought. I just used them as an edge on one of my beds. And I was digging up some things that were tender and I needed protecting um, and I thought, well, I'll see what they are. And I kind of pulled off some of the soil and found the nut and chewed it, thinking it would be like a tuber, because it's a kind of sedge. Um, it's really closely related to, to sedges. And I, I was just expecting it to be fleshy, but it's really crunchy. It's like a hazelnut, but even oh, really? they're really delicious. So that was real interesting. And I've, I've propagated a lot of that. So I kind of, I took, I harvested a load and um, was going to eat them all but then I thought they were so delicious I actually want more so I've I've re-sown loads and I've left some in the ground and I've put some in compost and kept them frost free so I don't know which ones will come back uh it's all a bit of an experiment but they're really cool but yeah perennial veg is definitely something I'm more and more getting into for its beauty and also for its usefulness. Like I kind of, mm-hmm. I've always really believed that vegetables aren't ugly and shouldn't be hidden in the back 100%. end of the garden. It's so strange that we think that they're, because they're useful, they're ugly. Um, so, but these take it to a whole new level, you know, things like licorice, which is so beautiful, and yakon, which is such a really amazing stately architectural plant. And then the tubers are really tasty. Um, and uh, one of my favourite plants is nasturtium and yes. the perennial nasturtium, the mashua, which is uh, the tuberosum is the species um, that you eat the tubers, which are okay, but they're, they're a little bit like wasabi when they're raw. They're really strong and spicy. Oh, wow. So they're unusual, but they're so stunning. They're like the most beautiful nasturtium you've ever seen with this lovely kind of lobed leaf um and a tiny trumpet like red flower so they i love them visually and they use you can eat every single part of them like with a nasturtium which is why i've always loved nasturtiums anyway but i i can't think of the one coolest thing that i've ever grown i just i just get it changes through the season but i just Mm. get such a kick out being able to to use something 
that I've yeah. grown and, and whether I use it to make like the other day I was um have a Malabar spinach that I grew some outside and they did well in the summer but they've died back and I'm pretty sure they'll be dead but they're perennial if they're kept frost free but they have such rubbery succulent leaves that they've been completely mullered by aphids in the house. Oh, I have no. one that in the house and it was really, really long and it was climbing up everything and covered in flowers and covered in seeds and these huge fleshy leaves, which are now, it's now just the stems. I'm not giving up on it because I'm pretty sure it will still grow back. Um, I'll probably cut the vine sort of tendrils off and then and regrow it. But the seeds when I was pulling off some of the seeds they came up with this incredible purple ink um and I suddenly thought I wonder if you can die with these and I looked it up and, and you can uh so I I like made my mum a birthday card where I painted her the thing oh. using Malabar spinach um seeds juice ink and it's those sorts of things whatever it may be and it changes Every time you discover something new, that's my favourite plant. So I can't yeah. pick one, but I just love that that interaction, how you can use, you know, making little discoveries about the, the uses of things is just amazing. I feel like that is also a pretty pretty special collection of, like, very, very, very plants. Cool. I know that this is going to sound really naive. This shows what a rookie gardener I am. I, until a few months ago, didn't really know that perennial veg was a thing. I just yeah. assumed that like pretty much everything like other than like apple trees and stuff you had to like grow each year and um, I've got um Taunton Dean perennial kale and then I was like oh perennial kale which means that it will come back every year and I don't have to like faff about with it every single year and resow it again every single year like this makes a lot of sense so I do I would like to look into some other I've made some notes on the ones you've, <laughs> you've mentioned because oh, really? it would be so cool to have a little perennial veg patch it's really cool. I mean, I, I, what I found, and obviously, like I've said, my plot's really small, but perennial veg has taken over a little bit and in a, in a good way, but they've also been massively more successful than my annuals. And like we were saying earlier on, this last year was a really bad growing mm. year, really, really bad. So a lot of my annuals, but they went out very late because of it being so cold. Yeah. Um, but they went out because they were quite late and they'd been growing in the greenhouse or on the windowsill and I'd potted them on. They were really big and healthy. And then the slugs just got everything, basically, all my annuals this year. Um, so um, the perennials didn't really get bothered. The, the kale gets eaten a wee bit. Um, yeah, my kale gets eaten. Pigeons and pheasants tend to eat that and slugs, obviously. Yeah. But um, if you get them nice and big, then the slugs don't make too much damage. Um, but they're, all of the other perennial veg did so well in comparison to the annuals. Um, and like things like gingers and stuff that I've grown out and managed to keep out there so far mm -hmm. so good, I think, in the winter. So it's it's obviously the southwest is quite warm. Mm -hmm. But I've just kind of, again, with the weeds, all the weeds that I chopped back and pulled up, um, as long as they didn't have seeds on them, I kind of used them as a mulch to protect, like straw, mm -hmm. uh, to protect the crowns of some of my, my tender things. But um, yeah, I just I just find them really, really easy to grow. They, the, the thing that they're not so easy is, is to cook. Um, mm -hmm. the, the kale obviously is because it's kale um, and then I've got some little perennial spring onions which are really easy they're sort of like strong chives oh, um, okay. 
they're, they're really good. Um, but the, the kind of root vegetables and the more unusual things, I haven't ever cooked them before. So I'm still mm. learning how to make them taste really good in cooking. But if I can work, if I can nail that bit, then I'm just like how much to be converted to fully going perennial. And no you're way. using less water, you're using way less compost. You know, obviously everyone's talking about going peat free and stuff. And you know, if you're if you're growing them in the ground, you don't need any peat. You don't need to start them all off each year afresh. You know, it's way less nutrient. They kind of don't really need feeding because the roots can have a chance to go much deeper and find their own nutrient. Um, yeah it's just really easy so yeah it's, it's a bit of a revelation but I actually I think going to because I got so into them I could take up the whole plot with perennials um but I'm not going to do that I think I might move some of them mm-hmm. hopefully like I said if I can find a field where I can yeah. actually really experiment a little bit on a bigger scale and then also the the, the fact that perennial veg grows big does shade out some of the annuals as well and out competes the annuals so I think that might be what part of the problem was is I need to have maybe the allotment where it's just annuals and then Mm -hmm. a bigger or a different space where I can really kind of look at what the perennials can do and just kind of see what they're made of because at the moment they're crowded in so tight that they're possibly not being able to really do what they do best yeah definitely they sound so cool though. I'm 100% going to try growing tiger nuts because they just look amazing. And I was going to ask on the ginger, did you grow the ginger from like a little ginger nub? Yes, it did. I find ginger is, it's, it's a tricky customer. Is but it? It's one of those. Yeah. So I found, um, so I also have grown uh, turmeric like this as well and turmeric is more difficult it sort of grows up quite quickly um mm. and then it scorches really easily in the light because it's from the jungle and um, all the zingiberaceae it's all in the same family the zingiberaceae family which is um mostly like i said earlier in southeast asia um and mostly jungle flora so um the turmeric if it gets too hot it just does not like it if too sunny so it can be a little bit temperamental but if you get the roots to grow and do well then it it's cool um you can also spray the foliage a bit that's good but the ginger is quite different you you need some really good tubers so what i tend to do is buy a real big mass of tuber and then let them sit in the fruit bowl for a while and some of them kind of dry out quite quickly and you don't use those ones and some of them when they're in the fruit bowl you'll see that they begin to get kind of swollen green bits on them which I don't know if you've ever seen that if you've had it sitting around for long enough that you can begin to see that I've been keeping bits of ginger for about six months now but I think because my I I keep buying it from like different farm shops and stuff thinking that it it must be like organic or something but there's never any labels on it and I think I just need to go somewhere where I know it's definitely not sprayed because they always dry out and go wrinkly yeah before anything else happens well because that's the why they're quite challenging is that they if you leave them out in the air they can dry out and go wrinkly and Mm -hmm. if you leave them in the compost they can rot um, so it's that balance but basically the thing that I have I think discovered is that ginger has a massive dormancy 
a really massive dormancy mm-hmm. and you can stick them in a pot and leave them and you think they've died and they're not doing anything for months and months and then suddenly the buds break and they start shooting and once they go they go massive so I have one just over there which is maybe six foot tall oh wow um, they're also this one hasn't died back but they can be deciduous so that's another thing to look out for if you grow them they die back and you think they've died but they haven't they reshoot the next year mm-hmm. um yeah it's that that's the key thing I found is if you if you be patient and you wait for them to break dormancy you pick big fat ones preferably if you can see them beginning to form shoots lay them flat on the soil like an iris oh okay Just the same way an iris um and then mostly cover the tubers but maybe you can leave a little bit exposed to the light and then they grow and once they start shooting green you're away and then they're so easy um and uh see it kind of seems stupid because you can buy them so cheaply in the supermarket that why would you bother growing them but i found that once they grow they produce so many tubers you can keep harvesting and harvesting and then you never really have to buy them again so i love growing ginger um it's just that key thing of making sure you're patient yeah, I really want to. I've actually never really liked ginger that much, but um, I was really sick with like a really bad cold and a cough for like three months last year. You know that meg cold that everyone had? Yeah, yeah. And I was just drinking like honey and ginger water 24-7 because it was the only thing that was like soothing it to get the slightest, slightest bit. And now I find that I have like a little bit of a craving for it quite a lot of the time. And so I put it in like my fruities and a lot more in cooking and things like that than I ever would before I even like ginger biscuits for the first time ever and so I really 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 want to grow it and I know I know that there's a lot of stuff that you couldn't just find the supermarket that's really cheap and stuff but there's just something so satisfying about being like but this one's mine like I've grown sweet potatoes from supermarket sweet potatoes that I've grown slips of and then I've got tiny little sweet potatoes that have taken like eight months to grow and they're probably like four mouthfuls but they taste great and it's that kind of like but I did that like well I didn't I did it but I, I put that in the ground and I've nurtured it's that normal potatoes that's one of the yeah. things yeah if you look on paper a big bag of potatoes costs what six pounds for like a sack of potatoes um why would you bother growing them and yet growing potatoes potatoes is the most fun thing because it's like digging up treasure when you go through with yeah. a spade and get all the stuff up so yeah I, I totally the, the ginger is is something that I have had people kind of go why bother but I absolutely love it and I'm it's I'm really really into growing the ginger <laughs> it's, so sad, but it's such it. a cool thing to grow though like again it's one of those things that in my head you can't really grow it in this country mm. And um, another thing that blew my mind this year was loofahs. Like, yeah, who knew? No one knows that the bath sponge doesn't come from the sea. And everyone I've shown it has been like mind blown with it. And they were so much fun to grow. They're so much fun to watch. My nephew is obsessed with them. Like, he just loves it. Throughout the whole summer, he'd stomp straight into the shed and he's like, it's a loofah. He calls it a loofah. <laughs> it's a loofah. It's no loofah. <laughs> Oh. But um, that's such a cool one. And I, I think you can eat them. I wouldn't know how to cook yeah. that. But next year when I grow, this year when I grow them, I'm going to eat some, save some for sponges because I'm going to have loads of plants. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, it's one of those things when you with like loofahs and I've got the same with squashes now. Where I was like, I want to grow yeah. that one. Yeah, you can eat, if you eat loofahs, um, you 
cook them when they're a lot smaller than when oh really harvest them really young so I think that would be I guess if you're growing them to grow as loofers <laughs> then you would let them kind of get get the big ones and then when the smaller ones start to form yeah you want just to get to really ripen then you'd pick off the smaller ones and eat them and they're really good stir fried oh With really ginger, <laughs> yeah oh my goodness I, I on Gardener's World once we did a film with um a gardener she was a Thai lady and she grew all her own Thai vegetables in Somerset oh, and she taught courses on how to cook Thai food and she was such a good chef um and we got to go and see her garden and then at the end of the day she cooked this amazing meal and she cooked it was a loofah she cooked a loofah with egg and um chili and ginger and that was it mm. so it was sort of like an omelette slash stir fry there was no noodles or anything but she mm. just chopped the loofah up put chopped the chili up chopped the ginger up put it all in a wok and then cracked an egg in it and stir kept stirring it and stirring it no it was so good oh wow what does it taste like in my head it's a it's like a courgette yeah <laughs> is it like a courgette yeah. i'd say it's like a slightly sweeter more juicy courgette oh that sounds like my kind of courgette yeah it's, it's got quite a different texture it's not it's not like rubbery I would oh say. good because I, I don't actually love courgettes because no, of the I, texture and blandness yeah i feel the same they're okay i used to hate them as a kid yeah. I do actually like them now. I think I just have to, every time I have to get over a bit of a hurdle. Yeah. <laughs> from being a kid. Mm. I made a lot of courgette cakes last year from good being like, oh, they are really good in cake. But I don't really like them. In, oh, to be fair, that, that, there were some ways that I discovered that I did like them somewhat. It wasn't, it wasn't last year, it was the year before, actually. And also I just feel like it's one of those veg that, every gardener loves and like is a bit obsessed with and I don't really get the hype but the courgette cakes were fantastic mainly because of the cream cheese frosting (laughs) I think that I think that you get that gardener's guilt when you kind of go I don't really like that yeah I used to feel that with beetroots actually I used to not like beetroot very much I love beetroot now but again as a kid I was like I don't I I think it's because of my mum like I said her mum was German so she Mm. grew up learning loads of German recipes and stuff so she would always be pickling stuff and I as a kid wasn't that into things like sauerkraut and I like it now I really like Mm -hmm. it now but we'd always have beetroots that weren't just fresh beetroot it was always like in vinegar or pickled Mm -hmm. and I was like meh but now that I have grown them I love them <laughs> so it's funny yeah, I'm I the other way to... yeah I'm oh, really? the other way my I love pickled beetroot my mum is also German and her dad's German and like she grew up in Germany till she was like 15 I think so we get a lot of German stuff like sent over from my auntie I'm obsessed yeah. with the dill salad dressing it's so good and she just sent some more over and amazing I, I eat it with everything <laughs> We had the same when I was, so when I was a kid, another thing I don't like is, uh, you know, the Liebs cooking. Lieb, that everyone, yeah, Lieb cooking. But we used to get, we, we, in my family, I don't know if it's a thing or if it's a slightly different thing, but we used to call it Pfefferkuchen. And oh, every okay. Christmas, all the relatives would just send boxes and boxes yes. of <laughs> And it was like, ugh, and stolen. 
which was obviously lovely. Uh, I watched all of them as well. I said to my mum the other day, I said to mum the other day, I was like, well, I was at, I can't even think where it was. Someone had put some like Liebkuchen biscuits on the table and I'd taken a bite and it had like proper like taken me back to being a kid. And I said to mum, it's funny funny because I just remember probably being like six or seven and we'd get, get these massive cookie, like leave cooking cookies with icing on. And you'd be like, oh, yeah, it's a huge cookie. I'm going to eat the whole thing. And then I'd take a bite and be like, ugh, it's gross. <laughs> like being dry. And, and now, because of, I think because of Lidl, everyone's like, <laughs> have you tried these things called leave yeah. cooking? And you're like, mm-hmm. yep. <laughs> I accidentally ate one the other day that was in my mum's piss biscuit jar. I, it was like the child covered in chocolate and so I didn't think I thought it was something else and it was one of the ones with like the little jammy center oh yeah and I was I like, oh, oh. but so yeah I really like, I really like beetroot. Beetroot. I think that normal beetroot just tastes like soil and so for ages I was growing all this beetroot because it grows really well on the allotment and I was like I can have bucketfuls of beetroot but um yeah I just I was trying to roast it and boil it and fry it in so many ways and I was like I just I don't I don't like it but last year I grew loads of beetroot gave it to my mum and she pickled it all the best pickled beetroot I've ever eaten and there's still a jar in my fridge now so good and so I'll grow beetroot again next year purely so she can I like it like shredded she like grates it rather than it being like chunky oh so good yeah yeah oh you're lucky that's the one thing about my Devon allotment that really really upsets me is it doesn't really grow that good beetroot the oh, really? allotment doesn't really grow anything good apart from beetroot oh, and no. courgette beetroot and courgette and this one it doesn't and it's oh, so frustrating because I love beetroot and I love there's something really satisfying about when you see it swelling at the surface yes and you, it and you, you time it just right so it's not big enough that it's gone woody it's small enough that it's still juicy I love yes. it. Well, <laughs> if you need any beetroot, my allotment will be at a full of it <laughs> next this year. <laughs> say next year, but it is this year. It is this it year. Is this year, yeah. I was going to say, I feel like beetroot is going to be the answer. But is there? Do you have like a plant nemesis that something that something you've just really struggled to grow? Yeah, for me, it's parsnip. I oh, never. Really? Me too. Do you know what parsnip and also a bit carrot? Carrot is. Oh, I just never successfully managed to get carrot to germinate and I've I've spoken to a market gardener friend of mine last year and she's now told me what I need to do having just said that beetroot doesn't grow that well on my allotment it may not work but um she said that you sow your line of carrots cover them with fleece so beetroots either end not covered with fleece and when the beetroots have germinated at the edges you know that it's enough times past that the carrots will have and you take the fleece off. And that will have just given them a bit of extra heat. But I've never managed, and um, or if I've grown them, they've always been really stubby and rubbish. Um, so a couple of years ago, I decided to tackle my nemesis and be like, really, I am gonna grow some really good carrots. So I, it was the lockdown year and I bought some seeds and I prepped the bed really, really well. And I made sure it was really deep and had no stones and everything. And I sowed them and they germinated so fast. And I was like, oh my God, this might be the year that I get really good carrots. And as they grew up, I realized that they were actually fennel and they'd been mis- 
mislabeled. So I grew a whole row of really, really good fennel. And still, I've never managed to grow any carrots. Oh, no. And last year was the was the icy cold yeah. spring year that really germinated well. So this year I feel really determined to to do it with carrots. Parsnips I know are really hard to germinate, so I'll, yeah. I'll give them a go. And if they do it, fine. But I'm not going to beat myself up. But carrots, I feel like they're so basic. I really should be able to do this. <laughs> they are temperamental, though. My first year on my allotment, right? I don't remember anything not growing. I think everything, like, I didn't know what I was doing. I just showed loads of seeds and then I was like, wow, I've like grown sweet corn and carrots and parsnips and this and that and the other. The second year, nothing nothing grew, literally nothing. The third year, barely anything grew. Um, But the parsnips never germinated. The carrots, they stayed really, really tiny forever. In fact, they stayed, I sowed them in March. The babies pulled them up about two weeks ago. And they were maybe like a couple of centimetres long. And they were loving it. They were like, oh, carrots. Oh, funny carrot. But I was like, mm, that's a year's worth of carrot that's done nothing. Um, but then I sowed some really late, like in August. And everyone had been like, oh, that's not going to work. That's not going to work. Um, but they were actually like a decent size by like Christmas. So I pulled some for Christmas being like, oh, Christmas carrots. Washed them washed and they, they had all been attacked by um, carrot fly. And they all had that black horribleness and I was like just as I thought I'd cracked it like it's ruined it for me but mum's gonna grow the carrots this year and maybe she'll be lucky you'll just nail it it's 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 kind of a beginner's luck but I wonder if if that first year that you'd done it if you hadn't been successful if you'd carried on because I think that's people that when they they think gardening's really hard and when they try it and it doesn't work Mm. they lose they just go oh I'm not gonna bother but definitely really lucky that you had such a successful first year it was such good weather I think yeah I barely had any water and so a lot of things that knowing what I know now if I had the same same condition and enough water they would probably be twice the size but I grew like a 17 kilo pumpkin my first year and I didn't even really know that you could grow pumpkins that big and it just was amazing it was like an Atlantic giant that someone had given me a seed off and like the corn on the cob I, I again I've really struggled with corn in the cob now but um that first year I just think that the weather conditions were favorable because the second year it was so hot for like six months and dry yeah probably hot yeah and then the last last year was obviously just so cold and wet all year that nothing ripened because I made um like a lot of green tomato chutney last year because I never had any right to like ever. I think you're in the same position. Um, yeah, it was either blight or green tomatoes. Yeah, completely. Last year was just the worst year for tomatoes. I think everyone had the same the same trouble. Yeah. But sometimes happens that way, doesn't I, it? You just... I have a good feeling about 2022, though, for us all. I hope so. As long as this greyness stops. I'm really, really bored with the grey. I feel like it's been grey for maybe two months now. With a few nice sunny days, but... That's yeah. what I'm I'm feeling like because it's been so grey, mm. we're definitely owed the Lord's spring summer. It's gonna be a lovely, it's gonna be a lovely spring and summer. Yes. It's, it's gonna be the best best year yet. Game. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> it must be. <laughs> um and on, on that note, I will stop taking up the entirety of your evening. <laughs> um <laughs> Thank you so much. It's been an absolute pleasure. 
and um we yeah just thank you for coming really oh no thank you it's been really really lovely chatting um yeah yeah hopefully I'll come up and actually see you soon that'd be cool yes that would be amazing I'll give you a little tour of the local North Devon (laughs) absolutely It's so good to be back chatting about plants on the podcast and Francis was a fabulous first episode. The perennial veg chat has got me very excited. In fact, I just checked my ginger root that I've had in my veg basket for a few weeks for any signs of life and I think it's ready to plant. So that will be on my to-do list for the next week. If you want to see more from Francis, definitely check out her Instagram at Francis Tophill and obviously you can see her in Gardeners World as well. She's also got a fantastic selection of books and I honestly cannot wait to read the next one as soon as it's released, so definitely check them out. Thank you so much to everyone who's returned for another season and hello to any new listeners. It's really great to have you. If you've loved listening, please do leave a review and let me know on Instagram at Diary of a Lady Gardener. I really love to hear from you all. That's all from me this week. Happy growing! Happy growing!